Okay, so if you're new, we've been in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we're all the way to chapter 8. Uh, Nehemiah was this cupbearer to the king of Persia at that time, and Persia is the power, the world power uh, during that time. And the cupbearer to the king was one of the most trusted positions you could have across the kingdom. I mean, that was the individual that tasted the, the wine, tasted the food, and, and, make sure, and would make sure that it wasn't poison. And so the king had to uh, trust that person. Uh, and, and so Nehemiah has been given this seat of, of privilege, this position uh, of, uh, of, of really authority in uh, that kingdom. And as he's serving the king faithfully, he gets word about uh, his people, uh, the, the people of Israel. Uh, he hears about Jerusalem, the city, their home city, the base, uh, where literally uh, the who God is, the glory of God was to be displayed in Jerusalem. And he finds out the walls are just, it's rubble. Uh, it's a mess. And, and, and they're a laughingstock. And, and ultimately we see uh, that he mourns over that. He grieves over that. Those are his people. He's part of the group that never was able to go back to their homeland. Uh, many of them were exiled out, living in different parts of the world. He was one of them. And so he hears about what's going on with his people and he knows that that's, that's not God's design for their people. So he mourns, he grieves, and he goes to God with it. And ultimately God says, I'm gonna use you to go back there and fulfill this incredible God-sized vision. You're gonna lead the rebuilding of the walls. You're gonna reestablish the presence, the glory of God uh, to the surrounding nations, to my people. And so with incredible favor given to him financially and authority from the king, Nehemiah goes back and the people respond to this vision. And through obstacles, through opposition, external opposition, internal opposition, um, Nehemiah leads them in the completion of these uh, walls. And where we're at in this section is you look at from Nehemiah 1 through 6, we see the rebuilding of the walls. But then in Nehemiah chapter 7 through 13, we see the rebuilding of the people. And, and so we're in this critical stage, right? And, and, and as we were able to look at last week, and thank you, Ken, for teaching for me last week, giving me a break. Um, but we saw they finished this project, two and a half miles of wall um, in 52 days, right? Very impressive, in incredible. So impressive that, that what we read was, was how uh, the, the surrounding people groups saw what happened, the enemies in, in, who were against this project, and they came to the conclusion that only God could have done this. Like only God could have helped them. There's no way they should have been able to do this. And, and, and so the surrounding people are seeing this. They're acknowledging that, 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 that there is a God, that that God intervened there. But what we're gonna see today is that it wasn't just the surrounding nations that understood and identified that God had supernaturally intervened. We see now that the nation of Israel sees it. Some of you need to sit on that for a minute because there's a lot of people that can point to God's work in your life and you're sitting there pretending like it hasn't happened. And at some point you just need to go, man, God, you, you clearly have intervened in my life just for me to be here. And so these people, they actually, at the end of chapter seven, they went back to their towns, their villages, uh, back to their jobs, but, but 
essentially, they, they start to wrestle with what has happened, right? They're feeling these, these conflicted feelings, right? They, 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 there's this feeling of guilt um, because, you know, what, what put them in that place in the first place where the walls were rubble and, and nothing was where it should have been and they weren't worshiping was what? Their own sin, right? Their own opposition to God's will in their life. So, so there's this feeling all of a sudden of, of guilt, right? Like, like this had to happen because of the decisions we've made. But then they're also wrestling with this, with this gratitude, right? This gratitude to where even though we caused this, God, out of his incredible grace and love, still supernaturally intervened and allowed us to fulfill this incredible vision. And so there they are, they're, they're wrestling with this. Have you ever felt that? Where, where in one sense, you've made a mistake, you said something, you did something, you fell back into something, and, and, and you're just sitting there and you're like, man, I can't believe I did it again. Man, why, why did I do that? And you know it's you. There's like no one else you can like blame. Some, for some of you, that's like really hard, right? You're really good at like, oh, it had to be someone else. I would never do that, right? But there's just times where you go, no, that, that's on me. Man, I did that. And you feel that guilt, but then you understand the gospel and you start to go, oh my goodness, though, God, you're, I can't believe, God, that you're so good, that you would forgive me, that you would understand and know the evil in my heart, the things that I've done and I've said, and here I am again. And you felt that like conflicting emotion of just like gratitude. Thank you, God. Thank you for not leaving me in that space. And so here is this nation, this people group, that, that everybody around them has seen and identified God has done a work and now they're processing it and now they're seeing that God has done a work. And this is what we look at in Nehemiah chapter eight, verses one through eight. It says this, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra and Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they made for him for the purpose. And beside him stood 13 people. Amen. And later, you're going to read all of those names. Uh, okay. Amen. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it, and all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also, those guys, the different guys, who were Levites, another 13. Once again, you'll read their names. It's a different crew. Same difficulty with the names. These Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Okay, I really tried to emphasize clearly and that the people understood. Okay, so what we see here is, is and, and you know, it, it appears to be this un 
planned movement of God in the people. Where, where all of a sudden they all gather together for one purpose, right? They, they, they're acknowledging now, God has done this incredible work in our midst and, and it's undeniable. And so we need to gather together and give him the attention and the devotion that he deserves. Okay, so, so they, they, they gather together uh, in this setting and they're there to acknowledge God. They're there, they're, man, we're, we're hungry now. We understand, we, 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 we're getting it. And, and, and so they're like, okay, so how do we understand God? We wanna understand him, how do we do that? And they're like, go get Ezra, go get Ezra. And, and, and who is Ezra? Well, Ezra, years earlier, had gone to Jerusalem to bring about spiritual revival. And this is what we know about Ezra. He was a scribe, a priest. And, and, and Ezra 7.10, uh, it gives you his purpose, what he was about. It says this, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This guy was incredible. He literally had set his heart to study the word of God. And, and then it says, not just to study it, right? But it says to do it and then to teach others. This guy was incredible. And so, and so they're like, we, we need Ezra. Ezra, we, we need you to come. And, and when you look at what's gonna happen here, you look at, essentially it's revival. Revival happens. Now, when I say the word revival, that may trigger some of you right? Depending on where you're from, even where you're from in the country. Because for some of you, if I say revival's happening, uh, you're thinking of a tent on Tuesday night at seven o'clock. And you're, yeah, and God's just set aside his, his clock, his calendar to go, well, I've got a revival at seven o'clock on Tuesday. Everything else goes on hold. Revival, seven o'clock Tuesday. It's scheduled, right? Uh, and then, and then for some of you, there's, there's just like, you've been in, in, in churches or events and they said it's a revival and what you observed was absolute chaos, right? I mean, people were running, dancing. There were things, people were rolling. All kinds of things were going on and you just went, hmm, what is this? Revival, ah, Right? And some of you literally, I say that, and you're like going to those moments. And I've been in some of those moments. But you guys, when we look at revival, when we look at spiritual revival, when we look in God's word, when we look at history, what we see is two clear things that are always a part of a revival. One is this, the communication of God's word. The communication of God's word. And second is an appropriate response to God's word. Those are always there. And so, and so they're ready to hear God's word. And, and I love it. They build him this massive wooden structure, this pulpit, so that Ezra isn't like level with the people. He's way up there, okay? And, and what they're doing, and I just love this, is they're, they're, they're repositioning their hearts and their minds to elevate, not Ezra, but to elevate the word of God. In fact, if you travel through Europe and, and visit some of these old churches, you will see this massive pulpit, this wooden pulpit way up there. And you'll see in some churches, and I've seen this, it's, it's crazy, a spiral staircase that gets up to that pulpit. And you'll go, man, I wonder, that looks weird. I wonder what the deal is there. It was literally designed to, to, to elevate scripture. 
So the scripture was elevated above everything else that was done. And so we see this, this, uh, this incredible working. And so Ezra is up here on this pulpit. He's standing above the people, sharing with them God's word. And he's got 13 people. He's got 13 people around him up top because he's not just straight reading. He's explaining. It says they're, they're speaking clearly. They're reading from the law. In other words, not just reading verse by verse all the way through. They're reading the law. They're taking time. They're explaining it. And he's got substitutes, right? He's got people stepping in. And then there's 13 Levites out with the people. And after they would cover a section, those 13 people in the crowd are going, all right, Who's still confused? Who needs help? Who needs some clarity here? What do you guys think about this? What's the application, right? Kind of like our community groups, right? That go off of uh, the sermons. And so they're, they're, they're walking through it then in the community. So this is going on uh, as he is teaching. But the key to what he's teaching, you guys, is, is ultimately it's, it's understanding. He's bringing understanding. Understanding to a people that, that for many of them, there was an intellectual understanding, but there wasn't an application understanding. And they were so hungry for the word of God that literally for six to seven hours, they're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. How convicted do you feel? Judging me, judging for how long I preach. Yeah. Six, seven hours. Okay. So I'm really short-winded. Um, and so they're there six to seven hours of reading and responding. And it says, we, we, we see how attentive they are to the word. As soon as the word is read, what do they do? They stand up. They, they're, they're bowing their head. They're yelling, amen. Uh, they're, they're in worship during this uh, time. And you just, man, you just see this heart for, for God's word. And you just see the nature of revival in this. You see that it is always centered around God's word. And you guys, I cannot plead with you enough to make God's word a priority in your life. I just can't, I can't emphasize it enough. This isn't something that should be supplemented to your life. This, this shouldn't be something that, that you occasionally pick up, that you occasionally read, that you look at, because you know what we typically do? We'll read it and we like it and then we just coast, right? We just, we just, man, that's great. I like it. I agree with it. Boof. And then I just go with it. And, and I'm not continuing to allow it to speak, to work in my mind, in my heart. There's no transformation coming. And I become more distant from God. Why? Because these are God's words to you. You cannot have a great relationship with God if you don't have a great relationship with God's word. Like you can't. And if you don't understand God's word, how do you understand the will of God? How do you understand the Spirit when the Spirit is speaking? Because the Spirit is going to speak on behalf of the words of God. And so I'm going to be confused. I'm going to be manipulated. I'm going to be all over the place spiritually if I don't take this seriously. If I don't make it a point to understand it. Guys, this will change your life. It will change your life. This is not something that we just, ah, we, we want to preach the Bible. Like, no, this, this has to happen. I have to have this in my life. All throughout scripture, you're gonna see over and over again, the importance of God's word. And it's finally sinking in for these people. I just wonder, what, is it, what does it take for, for it to finally sink into us that we need to learn this, that we need to understand it. And if we don't understand it, we need to fight for that understanding. 
I mean, I mean, like you guys, there are some major deliverables asked of us in scripture according to God's word. In fact, fathers, I'm just gonna tell you right now, and, and you know, I'm gonna be direct today, so there you go. Fathers, you realize it's your requirement by God to teach your kids the Bible out of Deuteronomy 6? It's, your, it's a requirement for you as a father to teach your kids God's word. You're a pastor in the home. Don't be sitting there going, Steve, do your job. Do your job. A pastor in your home. Older women. Now, I'm not going to say what that age is. I'm not touching that. I'm not touching that. Some of you just stare at me the rest of the sermon, right? I don't know what that age is, okay? That's open to interpretation. It's not, you know, thus saith the Lord here. But what we do see is this, older women, you are required by God, according to Titus 2, to teach younger women the word of God. Paul told the young pastor, this young pastor, Timothy, he told him uh, as, he's, as he's leading this church, and he's like, don't let them look down on your youth. And then he challenges him to what? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, uh, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then he goes on. He's like, people aren't going to want to hear that. They're going to want their ears tickled. They're going to want to hear what they want to hear. You stay faithful. Teach the word over and over and again, the power of God's word, uh, the power of understanding, the power of responding, what God's word will do uh, for your life. Um, and, 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 and once again, it's not this just, oh, I know God's word really well, or I'm on this reading plan and I'm consuming more than you. In fact, in, um, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, Paul talks about that knowledge without the application, without being a, a, a doer of what you're consuming. That's the kind of knowledge he, he literally says, that's what puffs you up. He literally says it puffs you up. So that's not what he's talking about. What, what we want to be is, 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 you know, uh, is, is James 1. When it talks about in James 1, 22 through 25, it talks about the difference between a forgetful hearer and an effective doer. And it literally uses the example of somebody who looks in the mirror. They look in the mirror and they see what they see and they go away from the mirror and they forget what they saw, right? And he says, that's the people essentially who just read it, don't apply it, don't do anything with it. They're literally this, this, this forgetful hearer. But then he says, no, I want you to be an effective doer that hears, that responds, that does something with what is revealed in you. Because I'll tell you what, you guys, the word of God is a mirror into your soul. And it will show, it will reveal, it will, it will convict. And, 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 and look at what we see here in verses nine through 12. Hang with me, we keep going here. It says, and Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved. for The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Okay, once again, you see this posture. This is revival is taking place, guys. This posture of just a hunger for the word uh, of God. There is complete reverence. And it's almost like the nation for the first time is just waking up to the reality of where they're actually at spiritually. And I think one of the things that that you guys see here, and, and, and we're gonna hit on this theme, is the more that they knew the word of God, the more unimpressed with themselves they became. See, the the concept of an arrogant Christian, I mean, it's like, it is an oxymoron. Like that that some of us can be this arrogant Christian, right? Now, now what does it mean to be an arrogant Christian? Well, an arrogant Christian is someone that, that, that walks around, acts like, and talks like, God is lucky he got me, right? You all know people, if they're in this room, don't look at them, but An arrogant Christian, essentially, it's this mindset. I bring something to the table. Like, God's great, but I also, with my knowledge, with my actions, with how gifted I am, I bring something to the table. And let me just absolutely pop that balloon right now. You know what you bring to the table in regards to salvation? You bring sin. That's what you bring to the table, okay? That's a universal, every head in here should just nod. Like, it's not like some of you, yeah, I'm really bad. No, that's all of us. That's what we bring to the table in regards to salvation. You and I bring sin, right? So, so how in the world, when, when all I bring to the table is sin, how, and, and, and as I read scripture and process it, it's just peeling me back like an onion, revealing all of these disconnects between a perfect and holy God and Steve. How in the world, all of that being said, can I walk around at a church gathering or any other gathering at my work and be like, well, I'm a Christian. Or I, well, that's not really where that verse is at. Let me tell you where it's really at. Right? That was a good prayer. Let me pray now. Okay, some of you are laughing. I have seen all of this. But guys, what we see here is this posture, this response, this brokenness that these people have as they're being confronted with the word of God. And it's just, it's just man, they're just seeing what Jeremiah said, that my heart is deceitful, it's wicked. They're, 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 they're seeing that in their own lives and, this, and just this mourning, this, this brokenness before God. And you guys, that's what happens. Like, that's what happens. If you're looking for this as your self-help, whoo, it's gonna be rough. It's gonna be rough landing because what this does, this book, God's word, it's going to reveal the things that need to be changed in your life. Now that to me is a gift from God. That is a display of his love, uh, not the opposite. But you just need to know it's going to do that um, and, and then when it does that, here's the gift. Here's what you need to know, right? You need to know that what the law could not do and your inability to keep the law and to measure up to the law, what the law could not do, Christ did for you, right? The gospel, 
Like Romans 8, 1 and 2. What, what does it say? Romans 8, 1 and uh, 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So, so they're there, they're mourning their sin, right? They're mourning, they go into this grieving, they're weeping over their sin, over the reality of their lives, over their decisions, over the destruction, uh, like the physical destruction, the family destruction that's in their life. And they're mourning and they're grieving over that. Just like you and I, we're gonna mourn and we're gonna grieve. I pray over the things in our life that we're doing that are in opposition to God. And so they're having this response. And, and, and what I love though is, is it doesn't just leave you there, right? It doesn't leave you there. They don't just say, yep, guess what? Uh, you, sin, that leads to death. Goodbye, right? Because that is, we know the wages of sin is death, right? So that was the sentence. That was uh, the outcome. But Jesus came and brought salvation. And I love how these Levites are in the crowd and all of a sudden, as these people are mourning their brokenness, this defeated feeling, they come rallying through and they're like, what are you doing? Let's go. This is actually a good thing. This isn't bad. In fact, we need to celebrate what's going on in your heart right now. You're finally getting it. And they're probably sitting there going, oh, really? You're gonna celebrate this? Like, yes, we're gonna celebrate what God is doing. You're finally understanding. You're finally under, understanding the disconnect, but you're also finally understanding the grace of God. You're finally seeing what, what, what the sin has done to him. And, and, and you're finally showing remorse uh, over this. This is a great day. Like this isn't a day for mourning. Morning. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Like, like let's, let's go. We're gonna celebrate right now what God is doing in our midst. So you go. And, 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 and you get the best meat, the best wine. You go, and if people don't have it, you go help them. Go deliver it to them. We're all celebrating what God is doing right now in our midst. We're finally getting it. And they go through that. They, they, they celebrate why it says, because once again, they understood. They finally understood. And I believe a major reason for our lack of response is because we lack true understanding. And so we have to fight for, we have to go. We then see in verses 13 through 18, it says, on the second day, the heads of fathers, houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate um, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths from, for from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. 
They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Okay, so they've just had this six, seven-hour session, right, together, and you go, man, after that kind of a session, after that kind of a worship service, they probably needed a break. Well, what do we see? They come back the next day, and, and it highlights the leaders of the different groups, right, the different clans. We see heads of households coming, and they're pleading for more. They're literally saying, I, I, I need to be more equipped. I need to be equipped to take this back to my family. I need to be equipped to teach my kids. I, I, I need to be equipped. So, so equip me, right? And so then they go into, uh, once again, th- this, this whole other time uh, of, once again, studying God's word. And as they're studying God's word, they get to Leviticus and they understand and, and realize that there is a festival. There's a celebration that needs to happen. It happened every year on the seventh month from days 15 to the 22nd. And the feast was called uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And this celebration was to be a reminder of the Exodus, the people being rescued out of slavery in Egypt. And as they were rescued, they they were wandering through the desert, right? And as they wandered through the desert, um, they uh, didn't have tiny homes, right, that they were towing, they had to build these tents, these huts, these booths, right? And that's how they got through um, the desert experience. And so what this was to be was a time for a week where they remembered God's hand of provision and protection. And, and symbolically, they also built these huts, these wooden booths, and they would stay in them that whole week. So they're feasting, uh, they're getting God's word, uh, it says they're rejoicing, and they're living, it's like, it's like, you know, me going home and being like, all right, kids, we're gonna go camping in the yard for a week. And we go and we do that, right? And so it's happening all over the place. It's on people's roofs because they had flat roofs. Uh, it's in their courtyards. It's all throughout the city. Everybody's participating in this. Everybody is excited about this. And it's something that they hadn't uh, fully honored since the days of Joshua. And, 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 but we see a different posture, right? Now they're like, we wanna fully embrace what the law is telling us to do with this festival. Why? Because you guys, when, when we think of God bringing us to a place where all we care about is his glory, Worship is sincere, it's spontaneous, and, over, and obedience is a natural overflow of what he's doing in our heart. It's not even a debate in our mind whether we obey. We're just excited to. We're honored to, and that's what happens here. And then we see at the end of this feast, they take the 23rd and they're off there. And then we pick up in chapter nine, verses one through five, and it says this. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. And on the stairs, once again, are these awesome helpers. And what they say to the people is, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Okay, so 
they're in mourning, right? They, they've just heard the word of God every day for a week and, 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 it, and it's just hitting them. It's continuing to hit. It's continuing to drive home the changes, the disconnects in their heart, in their life. And so after the festival's over, what do they do? Guys, they can't get enough. They, they come back and now instead of six, they're slacking. They're just doing three. So now it's a three-hour session, three hours break, and then they go into a three-hour time of, of literally confession and worship, right? So, so now the, the, the three hours of reading, understanding, clarity, God's word, and then three hours of just worship and confession. And what we see uh, with these people is that the word of God and what we're gonna see in our own hearts, in our own lives, maybe you're seeing it right now in this moment, is it reveals the real issues that you have in your life, doesn't it? it, 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 it that is the thing throughout God's word that, that it, it will consistently do, is it will bring to the surface these specific sin issues uh, that you and I have. And some of them are really clear, and that's what they experienced. Some of you, uh, God has brought things to the surface and it was very clear. You're like deciding, am I gonna go all in with Jesus? Am I gonna worship him? And, 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 and you're having this moment with God. God's word is being preached and, and the Holy Spirit is just working on you. It's like, let's go. It's time to respond. It's time to receive him as your Lord and Savior. And in that moment, you, you literally realize, okay, this and this and this has to change. And sometimes it's very clear, stop doing that. There were two things that, that I, I, I remember confessing and, and, and laying my life bare before the Lord on the beach. And I remember there were two things and, and it was just night, it was night and day. It, it wasn't even like, oh, I need to read that and look at it more. No, he just said, you need to stop smoking and you need to get out of that relationship. Okay. It was like clear. It wasn't like, hey, you need to really discern this and think about this and you really should. No, no, it was like, it was like that relationship is bad and you know it. Do something if you want to follow me. Well, God, that I, and then second, it's like, you stop doing that. Stop. It's very clear. And guys, for the nation of Israel, it was very clear. And guys, for some of us, he is gonna be very clear. Like, it's not even gonna be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what he's leading me to. Like, I don't know what he's challenging me. No, he's, <laughs> I've, I've been blessed to have a relationship with God for a long time now. He is very clear when he needs to be, amen? Like, he doesn't beat around the bush. He's like, there it is. And, and, and so it's very clear to them. It's like, man, we have been uh, not honoring him in marriage. We've been allowing uh, these foreign marriages to happen, right? And, and when you think of foreign marriage, like in our context, we're like, man, what's the deal? Like, is God racist? No, not God's not racist. He created everybody, and he's, but he's monotheistic, okay? So uh, these other people are, are worshiping other gods, multiple gods, and how they're worshiping them was absolutely insane. We're talking about human sacrificing, sacrificing their kids. I mean, we're talking worshiping demons, all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and the nation of Israel is being confronted with this reality that they have started to intermarry into that 
the very people that God's like, no, you're, you're, not, you're to not look like that. That's not what your relationship with me is, about, is to be about. And yet they, right, because of attraction or whatever else it may be, they have these marriages and they start to take on the very characteristics, the very same worship as these nations that want nothing to do with God. In fact, they're in opposition to God. And the nation of Israel is looking at the erosion of their life, the erosion of all that God's called them to be. And they go, that has to get fixed. That's a problem. Guys, I'm gonna tell you right now, marriage is a big one. It's a big one. And what you're gonna see over and over again is the family dynamics being highlighted. In fact, in in, uh, Psalm 106, 34 uh, through 39, and I'll just read a few of those. uh, it, It says, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. And it goes on there. And, but what you see is uh, in our minds, when it comes to marriage, we will um, go into a relationship with someone that wants nothing to do with God. And maybe it's actually in opposition to God. But in our minds, we're like, oh, if they just come to church with me, and if Steve says what he needs to say, it's going to happen. Okay, and, and, and literally, Scripture, old to new, is going to warn you against that. It's going to say what most likely, and I say most likely because there are random cases that prove me wrong. Most likely, you are going to take on the nature, the relationship, and the worship of the person you're marrying. So he's warning, and, 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 and they're literally acknowledging this before God. And then what we see is something really, really encouraging. The rest of chapter nine, from from literally, like when you look at verse six, all the way to 35, they go into this Old Testament survey. And here's what they're doing. They start going into the faithfulness of God that's been displayed and demonstrated all the way since creation. And so they just start highlighting all of these moments where God intervened supernaturally in history to point and demonstrate to his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, so that, so that we would understand and know that this isn't a moment thing, right? This isn't just like, you know, oftentimes we, we hear people talk about, oh, I like the New Testament God. I don't like the old, the old one. I like the New Testament one. He's nicer. And I go, no, you, you totally don't know him. One, he's unchanging. And two, look at the Old Testament. You will all throughout it see grace, forgiveness, mercy demonstrated in incredible, incredible ways. And so literally the rest of that chapter is all about that. And then we go to 36 here. As the people process that, this is what happens. It says, behold, and they're just declaring this. It says, behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts Behold, we are slaves and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over all our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Okay, so what just happened here? They respond to that brokenness, to the revealing of the change that needs to happen by what? Repenting. Okay, now here here is what's so important for, for you and I to understand. Repentance is not, I'm sorry, I got caught, right? 
Repentance isn't, ah, the police officer got me. Eh, speeding, eh. That's not repentance, okay? Repentance isn't, oh, I feel guilt. Or, or repentance isn't even, I wish I hadn't done that. You guys, repentance at its core is about a change in direction. Repentance means I was going this way, doing this, pursuing this, and I'm deciding that I'm not gonna do that anymore, God. I'm gonna go this way. So it's, it, it's not a stagnant thing. It, it, it's not something to where I'm just sorry that, that this was found out or I'm sorry that this happened. Repentance is I'm changing directions. This was something clearly that was not about God in my life. And, and I'm not just like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I wish I wouldn't done that. But I'm actually, I'm so in love with God. I so desire to please him, to follow him. And I go, God, I know what that does to you. I'm gonna turn and I'm gonna go towards you. I'm gonna pursue you. Okay, guys, there's a huge difference. This is not behavioral modification. This is a change in direction with your life. And I'll, and I'll, I'll say this too. If you've never made a change in direction with your life, you've never received salvation because that's what salvation is. It's, it's, it's literally giving your life to Christ, Right? I mean, you think of baptism, if we baptize people today, they're coming out of the water, right? Like, like it's a new creation, right? They didn't recreate themselves, right? It's a new life that was given because of the work of Christ. It's literally them coming out of the water, this picture of this, this life now that was all about before, pursuit of what I want, my desires, and now it's about what Christ wants. It's about, I'm gonna pursue him. Right, and, and so we see this uh, going on, this change of direction. And it's so much so that they're like, we're gonna make a covenant here, God. We're gonna make a covenant. We've seen the danger. We've seen the destruction. We're enslaved here to this king and, and, and all of this. And so we're gonna make a covenant with you that we're gonna honor. And here's the people that are gonna sign it. These are our main people. And what this covenant was gonna do was gonna set an objective standard by which they were going to live and to operate by. Essentially, what they're doing here is saying, these are gonna be our core values moving forward. These are going to be the distinctives that we live by as a people group. And so before God, they literally create this covenant with him. And, and then in chapter 10, um, we see in verses one through 27, all of the names, which you're gonna read in your free time today, um, that signed that document, okay? Um, and, and, and so all of these leaders and, and, and influencers, they, they signed this document together. And this is what the obligations of the covenant were. Now I'm gonna read the rest of this. Can you hang? Okay, good. Some of you are like, mm, mm. Um, but you're here. Okay, so here's the obligations of the covenant. Verse 28, okay? And the last eight, I'm just gonna tell you, you're gonna go, what? But hang with me. Verse 28 says, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, uh, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, uh, our Lord and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. 
we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, uh, the, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks. And to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites. And when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Now, I know you understood all of that, especially if you're under 18. But you guys, here is the importance of this. What this document is doing is, once again, it's specifying these three specific areas in their life that they've said, these do not align with the heart and the will of God. This is clearly against God's word. And so what they do is essentially what you and I need to do. What you need to do today is, is, is you need to ask and you need to reflect, what are those things in my life right now that do not reflect how he's called me to live? What does not please him, right? And so they were able to identify three very clear things. And you guys, they, they were gonna require sacrifice. If you're gonna do things God's way, it's going to require sacrifice. And for them, it was relationally and financially, okay? And, and so what, what, what do we see here? Well, the first thing is, once again, a commitment to marriage. Right, They recognize that they need to change the dynamics of how they're doing things at home. And, and, and so they say, we need to honor God with our marriages. Our marriages are not pleasing to him uh, by how we're going about it, by who we're marrying, by who, how we're intermixing and all of those things uh, where, where uh, some are worshiping this, some are worshiping that. We have not honored God in that. And then I love this. There's a determination that we are going to reach our youth with this message, Right? It's we're gonna, we're gonna protect our daughters, our sons. We're, we're, we're gonna like speak this truth into their lives. And church, we have to train up the next generation. We have to be about that. If you don't care about that, oh, you got problems. You got problems with scripture, right? Um, I love what Psalm 71, David, it gives you a window into his heart. In Psalm 71, 18, he says, so even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. I love that verse. What an incredible life verse, right? Guys, I, I, wanna, I wanna challenge you with this. Taking your kids to church is not enough. 
Now, I know that can be really tough to make it to church, right? Just say amen, right? I mean, you could think you're going to church. Your kids could have a totally different view of what's about to go down. And it could be really rough, right? But, but I, I want to challenge us. Like, like just getting our kids to church, that's not enough. Like it's not enough. There's got to be more happening in our homes. We see financially they made several major shifts and changes. And one is they go, we're going to commit to the Sabbath. We are actually going to commit to this and we're going to commit to the sabbatical year. And, and, and what they had done, you guys, is, is they found a little loophole, right? So the, the, the other nations would come in during the Sabbath and they would sell goods. And, and the Israelites were like, oh, I'm still honoring the Sabbath. I'll just buy goods from you. Um, I'm not doing work. And so they found this loophole and, they've, and God has revealed it and exposed that, hey, you're not honoring me in this. And so they say, okay, we're done. We're not gonna allow any purchases like that to be done on the Sabbath. And then they're like, we're going to honor the sabbatical year that we're going to work for six. And then we're going to rest on the seventh year. And we're going to give the land rest. And we're going to honor God knowing that we need to be reminded of our dependence on him. That's a huge financial risk, right? Huge financial setback. Okay. So, so, so they do that. And then we see the other thing that they decide uh, to do is what? Their commitment to the tithes and offerings. And guys, it is not by accident that that's eight of the verses in that section versus one for the others. It's not an accident. You will always see uh, when spiritual vitality is happening, you will see generosity increase. It should, generosity should always follow it, okay? And, 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 and it goes hand in hand, uh, right? And, and for them, this is what it was never about. This is never what, and we have a time uh, at the end of the gathering where we give you the opportunity to respond and worship through giving. Guys, it was never about leftovers or minimums, right? The people were never going, like, did you see those eight, like, verses? Like, reread it later today. You're just gonna be like, like, like and, and the thing that stands out is this. It was always first and best. It was always what's first and it was always what's best, okay? So, so in relation to giving to them, to reposition themselves in a way to honor God, they were asking that question once again. They're saying, what does God's word say about my first going to him and my best going to him, right? Um, what, what oftentimes we say is, if this happens, I'll give. Or when this happens, like the Powerball, then I'll give, Okay? And Steve, I'll give in loads. You've never seen the money I will give if the Powerball happens for me, right? I mean, the building we get will blow your mind, right? Um, but that's often how we think. It's if, it's when, it's if I have leftovers and the people of God go, we're not honoring God in this area. We're not honoring him in this area. It's not okay. And so we're going to make changes and they make these changes immediately. And the question we have to ask this morning is what are the issues, the sin issues in your life that God is saying, deal with it now, address it. And then once again, revival has these two parts, right? It's God's word, preaching God's word, and then appropriately responding. What are you going to do with God's word today? And I would challenge you, if you've never taken time to reflect, just like they did, what are the values that define your life and where do you get those values from? If you've never done that, you should do that. Because guys, oftentimes, here's the reality of it. None of us like hypocritical Christians, do we? But here's what I found. It's unfortunate. Most of the time that the greatest hypocrite is usually the one in the mirror. It's me. And so I need God's word. 
Guys, we all need God's word, don't we? So how are we going to respond today? Let's pray.